Hello, everyone, and welcome to Open Door Philosophy, a podcast where a high school philosophy teacher, that's me, and his former student who's currently studying philosophy in college, that's me, unpack a variety of big philosophical concepts in an understandable way, all towards the purpose of living a good life. Welcome to episode 22, a special episode where we get to discuss our favorite philosophy books. But uh, So look forward to that. But before we get to that, y'all, it is time. Andrew and I are so in like the zone of, uh, <laughs> of Thanksgiving, right? Like it's so near. So let's catch up. Andrew, how is life in your academic world? Life has been pretty good. It's been, I'm finishing up my, my really long Aristotle paper right now. Uh, in a future episode, I, I will have to talk about that because it's been a good time. But I think it's appropriate, as always, to talk about the weather real quick. Oh yeah! And it's just been it's been freezing cold outside lately. Maybe freezing's an exaggeration, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> it's been in the forties for lows. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold for me. Too cold for me. So that's been it's been a huge contrast. We it. it it was in the 80s last week, pretty hot, and then the next day it's been freezing for me. But uh, it's been it's been a nice change. So it's it's put me in the Christmas spirit. Ah, good. So does does rice do uh, does rice do autumn well? Like does the campus? <laughs> I don't think I don't think particularly you know, well. I think it's just the <laughs> the trees are always pretty green, so that's nice. I think nothing really dies even during winter. So that's nice too. So I think it looks pretty much the same. It's just colder, which is, which is nice in some <laughs> ways, uh, but you know, whatever. Well, maybe people will wear scarves and you'll, you'll feel like you're in the Northeast. <laughs> I'll something. probably be the only one wearing a scarf. I'm, I seem to be the only one who's cold. <laughs> I was going to say it is, it is achingly beautiful outside. I think today the high is 70 degrees, sunny and 70. <laughs> Holy moly. Like people who live in Houston, we just die for this weather. <laughs> I'm so glad it's here. Anyway, we had a fire in the fireplace a couple days ago. Andrew. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really need it. And let <laughs> me tell you, if, if you live outside of Houston, uh, fireplaces are really not necessary. Uh, it's more like a <laughs> a comfortable affection or something. But, uh, but, but we do enjoy them, you know. If it gets all the way down into the 50s or something, we might have a fire in the <laughs> fireplace. So it makes things nice and cozy. That's um, my my grandfather. He um, he has this kind of, in his house, he has a wood stove and that's the only heater in the house. So that's that's always really nice when I go over there. It's, it's a blast from the past, I guess. Oh, yeah. 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 My grandparents up in Oklahoma had a, a wood burning stove in their living room. That's yeah. how they heated the house. Yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. Anyway, how have, how have you been doing? Oh, I am so overwhelmed right now. <laughs> but the uh, the payoff is Thanksgiving break. Just lots of <laughs> irons in the fire right now. But you know, it's fine to be overwhelmed as long as the work is good work and it's meaningful work, and it is. And so, being overwhelmed is not really a complaint here. Uh, but I have I have lots to do, and uh, and that's okay because it's good work. But on a on another note, two episodes ago we did an episode on transcendentalism, and last week 
uh, we're, well, we're studying transcendentalism with my year two students. And uh, last week, we took a field trip. They always joke about taking a field trip. We're like, what field trips can you take in philosophy? <laughs> but last week, we took a field trip and went up to the Sam Houston National Forest and took a six and a half mile hike uh, through the woods and did some really neat things. We uh, brought our favorite Emerson and Thoreau quotes and read them and uh, had some some uh, companionable silence, we call it, where we, where we walk together in silence for, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. And, you know, we sat around ponds and walked through trees and noticed things. And uh, it was just a really good time. So, so we did that. And uh, I wish, I wish every single week of school one day could be dedicated to hiking in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds nice. I was meaning to ask you about that because I, I woke up on that day and it was just pouring, pouring cats and dogs over here. So I was wondering if y'all would get to do that. I know that was something you were worried about, but it sounds like it went through. Yeah, that's when that cold front came through, some really nasty weather. Uh, But we were lucky. We were going to go out to lunch. This is way too much detail probably for people. But uh, we were going to go out to lunch after our hike, but to try to wait out the rain, because we knew it was coming about 8 a.m. and it was going to be a strong, fast-moving front, we went to breakfast instead of lunch. And the storm hit, and it even knocked out the electricity of the restaurant we are having breakfast at, shut down the kitchen. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, but by the time we got to the trailhead, um, we hiked in the rain for about 30 minutes and then the rain stopped and it just became a beautiful blue sky day with temperatures in the sixties. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad it all worked out. I, I know you're excited for that. So I'm glad. Okay, everybody, before we get to the main part of our episode where we talk about our books, uh, Andrew, don't we have some uh, a special announcement to make? Yeah, so after this episode, we are going to be taking a few weeks off to prepare for season two of the Open Door Philosophy podcast, and also to give us both some time to finish up our semesters on a high note and get all of that stuff out of the way so we can put our focus on uh, second season. So... Yeah, it's been a real blast doing this first season with you, Andrew. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. We, we, you know, folks, when when you make a podcast, well, at least when we made a podcast, um, we didn't really know exactly what its trajectory was going to be and what it would look like and whether we would have seasons and all of that kind of stuff. But for right now, uh, it makes sense for us to take a a few months off and we will be back in mid-January. So look for season two of Open Door Philosophy coming the second week of January. Yeah. I've had a great time doing this this podcast with you too, and it's been something I've looked forward to every week, and I hope that everybody who's listening is feels similarly because I'm also excited for the episodes to come out, but I'm a little biased in that sense too, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, I look forward to these Sunday mornings when we record and talking about the thing that both of us mutually love. A philosophy and uh, and hopefully doing it in a way that people enjoy and is meaningful for their lives. So that that's where we would like to to talk to you, the listener, about season two. You know, we say it at the end of every single episode that we would love to hear from you, and it's absolutely true. So, being that we have a couple of months here to 
plan out season two. We, of course, have plenty of time. Andrew and I seem to have inexhaustible topics on philosophy, but we would, (laughs) (laughs) but in planning season two, I mean, we'd really love to talk about some topics that you, the listener, would be interested in. Uh, so whether that's, uh, you know, theories about the soul and religion and or nihilism or, you know, whatever, take your pick uh, of whatever philosophical topics just kind of burning there inside your head and, and let us know. Email us at opendoorphilosophy at gmail.com or hit us up on uh, Twitter and or Instagram. Seriously, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, that would be great. I know when we first started this podcast, we we agreed that if we only had a few listeners, we would be happy with our progress, just uh, filling the world with our passion, I guess. So um, it's been great to see uh, our expectations have been our expectations have been over over. Yeah, we, we've exceeded those expectations. <laughs> right, that's the word. We've exceeded our expectations, so we're really thankful for that. And uh, well, this isn't supposed to be a Thanksgiving episode, but. Um, we're thankful for everybody <laughs> listening. So appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, lo- looking at our numbers on the, the amount of listens we get per week, there, there's no way the people who are listening, all of them are like just our best friends or whatever <laughs> supporting us. We definitely have listeners out there who um, who are not personally associated with us, which is fantastic. Like the numbers are good and they're growing and uh, and that's exciting and encouraging. So So please, once again, uh, let us know of your ideas and shoot. If you just want to let us know that you're thankful for what we've done and all of that, we'd be happy, happy to hear all of that. Okay, <laughs> everyone. So here we go. Our favorite books. If you've been a longtime listener, you'll remember that first couple of episodes every week, we would talk about the books we were currently reading and we ended up talking about the books we're currently reading so long, <laughs> the episode, that the episodes were almost becoming like what we were currently reading instead of some philosophical topic. So we cut that out. So now just, you know, all these all these months later, we thought we'd take an episode where we talk about some of our favorite philosophy books in general. And so Andrew and I have both chosen a few, and we're just going to talk about those today, just going to kind of riff on them. So so, Andrew, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. You can go first. <laughs> what is your What's your first book you want to bring up? Well, my my list is in no means in order, but I have to give the first book on my list to Plato's Republic. I don't think anybody is surprised there. Um, I think this book represents my introduction to philosophy in a lot of ways. Uh, it was my first book of philosophy that I ever picked up. I remember I was recommended it to. I was recommended it by someone found a copy at Half Price Books on Montrose. Remember that very clearly. And I just started reading it and I was I was just kind of shocked. I I heard some concepts in that book, but I it it really kind of was the spark um I think that that Socrates would have wanted me to have at that age. So um I have to put that one first. It covers so many topics of philosophy and it's so deep, but also so accessible too that anybody can just pick it up. And every time you read it, you'll learn something new about a plethora of philosophical ideas. You know, there's ethics in there, epistemology, metaphysics, uh, literally anything you want to find, you can find it in, in Plato's Republic. So it's a it's an awesome book, and I'm 
I'm happy to put that first on my, well, I guess not first on my list, but on my list. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I don't want to break your heart, but did you know that that uh, half price bookstore in Montrose no longer exists? I know. I was, I, I was driving past it on Friday, actually, and I, I, I was just very sad because the... I, no, I was going to say, I think they, they tore down the old shopping center, didn't they? Yeah, they're building they tore, something new. They tore down the entire thing, and it's, it's really sad because there used to be one within walking distance of Rice in Rice Village, and mm-hmm. they tore, they, that one also went out of business, so um, I was going to the one on Montrose. That's, I've been going there ever since seventh or eighth grade, I think, and yeah, I was just really sad to see you, so... I don't know what's up with that, but yeah, it was a it was a yeah, cool building, really cool. Yeah, it had like uh, I remember one wall was like just exposed brick. It's just an old building. It's a cool, cool, cool bookstore. Uh, yeah. So, is there? How about is there anything like one thing specific from the Republic that you can think of that you're like, this is one of my favorite parts. Like like an mm. example. Well, I'll give two two short two short examples for this. I think obviously. We've talked about these, if if you've been a constant listener since the beginning, I think our second episode was on Plato's um, Allegory of the Cave, which is probably the most famous allegory in all of Western philosophy. So I could talk about those allegories and how influential they've been in, in just philosophy as a whole and how much you can learn from those. But I would also say, and I think that's true, also you can look in book two or the ring of Gaiji's example. I think we've talked about that as well. Both of those are influential, not only in like philosophical thought, but you know, the matrix takes a lot of ideas from book seven. So that's cool. And then book two, you know, ring of Gaiji's with Lord of the Rings. So it's just influenced so much. And I think that's really cool to see where these ideas started, but also personally in the past, probably two years or so I've noticed with uh, Plato's Republic, it's really cool to learn about objective ethics in the sense of, you know, there's a reason for me to be doing good that's beyond good. Well, I guess it's beyond goodness itself, but I think a lot of people in, in my generation, I know this, I'm pretty sure just from con- a lot of conversations that I've had, but they tend to turn towards moral relativism. And I think it's I don't see how that idea can last very long, but I think reading about that in Plato's Republic is not, you know, the same thing going on back then. It's not something it's, it's kind of comforting in the sense that people were thinking about that back then. And, um, you know, there's answers to that, that I think are, are pretty strong, especially in Republic. So I think that's great. Awesome. So, the Republic was written in classical Greek. Is there a translation you prefer? Mm, let me. Or are they all they all pretty good? So the translation that I would recommend to everybody who's interested in the Republic is the GMA Grub translation. You can find this online as well if you look for it. Um, I think that's a great. I think that's a really good translation of Plato's Republic, just because it has a lot of good notes in the text about kind of what's going on too. And we'll we'll link this somewhere. We'll we'll link this on our website, I'm sure. But I think that's a fantastic translation. There's some bad translations out there, but I would say for the most part, I think most of them are pretty good. You can find some that are more um, 
The cool thing about Plato too, sorry, I don't want to do a Plato rant, but I think this is important. <laughs> cool thing about Plato is he's he's both such a great philosopher, but he's also such a great author, a literary author too. So you, you can definitely find translations that prioritize the kind of lyricism that Plato has while maybe sacrificing the clarity that I think is really apparent. Clarity, mm. clarity is maybe not the best word, but accessibility. But I also think you, you're, you're going to find translations to that focus on that philosophical clarity that our listeners might be more interested in. And that's why I recommended the, the grub group. I don't know. G R U B E translation. So that's great. So the first book I've chosen to talk about today is by Albert Camus, uh, and that book is The Plague. So, so with, with my selections of books, I tried to pick a, a number of varieties. I have, th- this is a work of fiction. I also have a biography, uh, and then I have some, what would be considered primary source uh, philosophy. So, so Camus was a novelist, although he has, he has a fiction, sorry. He has nonfiction pieces like the myth of Sisyphus and a number of other essays, but this particular work is uh, is fiction. So one of the projects that Camus was concerned about was this theory that he called absurdism, and we haven't really talked about it on the show other than I think we've had a quote or two in the quote corner from Camus, but but he talks about he was an existentialist and and an absurdist. So he is kind of a fine line between existentialism and absurdism. But either way, what's great about this book is two things. One, three <laughs> things. One, <laughs> one is that uh, Camus is an amazing writer, and he just writes so beautifully. And everyone should read this book because it's a beautiful piece of, of literature. But outside of that, philosophically speaking, obviously in the last 18 months or so, the world has been going through a pandemic. And once that pandemic began, it was kind of interesting. Copies of Camus' The Plague actually sold out on Amazon. They ran out of copies because so many people were buying it. So it's a really relevant book uh, because one of the big questions, especially a year and a half ago when we were all in lockdown, one of the big questions is like, well, what does all this mean and how do we navigate this and you know, all that kind of stuff, those kind of questions. So everyone picked up The Plague. And so it's a book about, or it's a story about a city in Algeria that contracts or, or rather the, the plague springs up in. And it is like literally the plague. It's like the bubonic plague of, you know, the, the black death from the middle ages and all that stuff. Uh, so, so it spreads rapidly throughout the, the city and they completely close off the city. They, they shut the, shut the gates, close the Harbor. Everyone stays inside the city and every character in the book kind of represents a different approach to the problem of the plague, which is, of course, an existentialist problem, right? And so, you know, you have you have doctors, you have religious figures, you have thieves, uh, you know, all these different types of people who try from their own particular perspectives to deal with this issue of how do we live in this new circumstance of the plague. It's ultimately a very hopeful book. Um, a lot of times existentialism will get saddled with this sort of like pessimistic view on life that everything is meaningless and all of this sort of stuff. 
And you don't get that with Camus. He certainly looks the abyss straight in the eye. Uh, you know, he does not shy away from the tragedy and the what appears to be meaninglessness of the entire event. But it ultimately ends on a hopeful note. And, uh, and I think it's just a wonderful philosophical reflection and a beautiful piece of literature, which, of course, is translated. Camus wrote in French. So the translation I prefer... It comes from the Vintage International Publishing Company. Um, let me see if it says who actually translated this one. Okay, it's translated by Stuart Gilbert. But when you go to, you know, whatever, bookstore, Amazon, or whatever, um, it seems like Vintage Books kind of has the market cornered on Camus. So that's probably what will pop up. So a question I have for you was, when the pandemic started, was this your first time reading the plague because i know you i know for a fact you've read other works of camus before yeah this was my first reading of it yeah i'd read of course i read the stranger um pretty much every high schooler reads that particular work uh and i've always wanted to read the plague and then of course a literal plague <laughs> happened uh and i was like okay it's time to read this book and uh it was just really i mean when you talk about a book <laughs> that that deals with the issues that the plague does with all the death and the bodies and hospitals. And it sounds strange, but the book was refreshing to read in the middle of, of the pandemic. But yeah, this is my first reading of it. And I've read it. I've read it once again since. Speaking about plagues, I think that brings next to a book that we both share on the, the list. Um, I think it's oh, yes. Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I first found out about this book when I got home from school, when I was sent home during the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. I was on YouTube looking for things to do, and I saw this video from Ryan Holiday, who I think is kind of a popular... I'm not going to call him a popular philosopher because I don't think he really is, but yeah, I, I would say he's a... I'll agree with you on that point. <laughs> I, I would say he's a popular self-help author. And I think that yep. I watched the video and I was just like, this is super interesting. So I ordered a copy, kept watching some more of his videos and read meditations. And I think that I was surprised on how relevant everything was in the book. We've 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 done an entire episode on this. So I'm not going to really give much background, but the yeah, the book is really influential for me because I think it, one, it helped me deal with that period. Maybe not deal with it's the, the right word, but it helped me think differently about the period as more of an opportunity. And I think that was, that time was a big inflection point in my life after reading that book because I started getting interested in classics, classical philosophy. I mean, that was that was the literal spark of my interest in classics. So after that, I started reading a lot of classics and I got involved with a reading group where we were reading Cicero because of Marcus Aurelius. And it was, it was just a really transformative book for me. I don't know if it was direct, but yeah, super transformative book. So I have to include that. I know Mr. Parsons, this was on your list too. So uh, why did you include it? I mean, for all the reasons you just said, uh, yeah, episode six is the one we did on Marcus Aurelius. And it is a book filled with practical wisdom. 
Uh, I, I think that's the, the the best thing about it is you read it and it is it's so applicable to living, whether we're talking about 200 AD or right now in 2021. It's uh, written in a nonlinear fashion. There's no rhyme or reason to the entries, really. Uh, it's just Marcus Aurelius's, who is the Roman emperor in the second century. It's his morning journals, uh, so his morning thoughts. So there's no real particular order to any of the topics he talks about. They're generally very short entries. So there's, you know, it doesn't take long to read a couple entries. And, and each of those entries gives you something to chew on, gives you something to think about. And, uh, and, and for me, like encouragement, honestly, like if anyone dealt with pressure, you know, it's Marcus Aurelius as the Roman emperor, right? Uh, people were constantly demanding things of him and dealing with uh, intense political situations and all that sort of stuff. And if he can navigate those things successfully, uh, well, then I can too. And the, the things that he writes uh, and the way that he writes them are very, are very encouraging. Uh, totally recommend everyone, like everyone should read that yeah, book i totally i definitely definitely agree i yeah i was reading this book by i forget what it's called but it or what who wrote it but it's called the rise of theodore theodore roosevelt and um it's mentioned many many times that theodore roosevelt had that in his saddlebag when he was when he was doing his hunting activities and it was on his desk when he was president so if you don't take our advice for it just look in historical, how important that book has been historically for people. So I, I recommend it too. And I think we're going to recommend the same translation. So I'll, I'll let you handle that. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's the uh, Modern Library is the publisher, but it's the, uh, I believe it's Gregory. Yes. Hang on, let me look in the front. Yeah, Gregory Hayes is, is the translation. There is a a new translation that came out with annotations. I, I, I heard about that. Robin Waterfield, and uh, it's an annotated edition. So there's a lot of really exceptional insights that that he adds with his annotations for that text, which which people who really enjoy meditations might find interesting, uh, but still prefer the the Hayes translation. Yeah. One of my uh, ways that I that I truly show people that I care about them is I give them books. If you ever get a book from me, like it's not an accident. Um, <laughs> like it wasn't just a random gift idea. Like when I give a book, it's because it's an important book and I think it's important to your life. I routinely give this book, uh, Meditations to People. And uh, one other book I'm going to mention here later on, I also have given that to to people rather frequently. So, So it's up there. It's a good one. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to. I've decided that over um, over winter break, I'm going to try to uh, get a oh, wow. Greek copy of that and see if I can work my way through it. So that'll be. I'll, I'll, I probably won't be able to get very far, but we'll we'll try. We'll try. Okay, so I have uh, two women philosophers on my list today. And this next one is Mary Midgley. So Mary Midgley was an Oxford product from the 1940s in World War II, and she did not begin writing philosophy until she was in her 50s. Uh, she always said in interviews why it took her so long, and she said she had to wait 
till she was 50 to figure out what she really thought, which I think is a great, a great little quote. But anyway, she just passed away a year and a half ago at the age of 99. Uh, she was a prolific writer. There are so many books I could recommend by her. One of the things I really enjoy about her writing is it's, it's very clear and accessible, and she uses a lot of great analogies. Uh, for instance, when she talks about what philosophy is, you know, she talks about plumbing, you know, and how the pipes underneath the sink are things we never really take a good look at and we really ignore all the time. You know, we focus on the faucet because that's what we see and that's what we use. But the pipes underneath the sink are perhaps the most important part of the faucet and we never pay attention to them until something goes wrong. And then all of a sudden we open that cabinet up and we see all the pipes. And she says philosophy is like plumbing. It's really important. It undergirds like all of our behavior and beliefs and everything, but we really don't pay attention to it until something goes wrong. So she uses analogies like that all the time. I could I could mention many books, but the one that I'll bring up specifically is her last book, which she published the year before she died. So let's all hope we're as prolific as Mary Midgley writing books in our late 90s. It's called What is Philosophy For? And it's just an exploration. Well, I mean, the title kind of says it all. Uh, what is the purpose of philosophy? Uh, another thing I like about her, she's she's not an absolutist. She really likes to cover the entire field of whatever topic she is investigating and uh, brings a lot of perspective to it. This particular book focuses on like, what exactly is is philosophy to begin with? And then we get, she harps a lot on uh, scientism and, and then she gets into like minds and other minds and all of that kind of stuff and, and gets into whether or not intelligence can be measured and what is materialism and all of these types of things, uh, all exploring what is philosophy for. So everyone like grab a copy of this, but what is philosophy for? Excellent, excellent read and a good introduction, I think, to a lot of big ideas in philosophy. I remember you you talking about Mary Midgley when we were first um, when we were still doing the book reviews a little bit. So, have you gone back to her works at all over the since since then? Yeah, I did over the maybe it was during the summer or maybe early fall semester. I read another book of hers that was published about eight or ten years ago called "Are You an Illusion?" and it dealt a lot with the mind body problem. As, mm. And, you know, from she really, she really uh, does not appreciate some of the views of science. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that she doesn't think it's important, but uh, but she thinks it's, it's oftentimes far too narrow. And uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, she talks about consciousness in that book. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, she's just great to read. She's just, this sounds odd. She's fun to read. Like she's just a fun author. Uh, she really plays with ideas uh, in a in a creative <laughs> way, and and doesn't hold back. Maybe that's some of the great things of her writing in her nineties. She's a she's a sassy lady. She doesn't <laughs> she doesn't hold back on her opinions. <laughs> she fires away. Well, I I guess I can contrast that a lot with with my next book on the list. With I don't think anybody's surprised about this one too. A lot of classics right now, but with Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, 
Aristotle always, in contrast to Plato, he always takes in the opinion of the crowd and wants to see how correct that is, or, or the opinion from experts too. So Aristotle's always he he's always talking about, well, oh, you know, popular opinion is this idea, so we should take a few pages to examine it. So Nick McKean Ethics is my third book on the list because it's really good. You can contrast it a lot with Plato's Republic. Plato's Republic, I always say, I think I've used this analogy on this podcast, but maybe with the the class that I'm TAing for too, Plato's Republic is like an an onion and an infinite onion where you're always going to be peeling back the layers on layers and really trying to figure out what Socrates or Plato is trying to say by a statement. There's Socratic irony literally with every syllable that uh, that Socrates says, and it's so difficult, but also really easy. And I think you can really contrast that with Aristotle, who it's his priority to make everything as clear as possible. Every word is is specifically chosen, and um, every idea is developed as well as it can be. So I think it's a, a great point of contrast. Of course, both works are great. Nick McKean Ethics, we've also talked about, but it's it's a work about ethical philosophy on how one can live the best life. And so I think I think Aristotle's really interesting because I think he presents a more, I guess the word is more, it's more compelling, more realistic case of how to develop your character and how to live a good life than I think Socrates does, since he takes a lot a lot more into account of external goods like wealth and and political power and things like this and and the pursuit of a good life. Now we can agree or disagree on that, about that, but I think it's it's interesting point of contrast. So I think the personal reason I put this on the list for myself is it's been informative in my way of looking at philosophy as a whole. Um, it's provided a great foundation for me for reading every other philosophical text. And I think it's provided a really good, it's a, it's a really good starting place for all sorts of philosophy, um, especially after you read Republic. It's just, it's also super in-depth. You can squeeze it out for infinity and get more out. But I've learned so much by pouring over that book not only in Aristotle, but in everything else. I There's this really good other philosophy podcast called um, The History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps. And he spends a lot of time on Aristotle too in that podcast. But he he says that, you know, there's this famous expression that everything's a, uh, a footnote to Plato. It's like, okay, that's true. But I think in reality, everything is a, a footnote to Aristotle in the sense of everything in that extent with philosophy, but with religion and with science and literally rhetoric and writing and everything else. Yeah. Aristotle is just as foundational as Plato. And I think you take both of those philosophers and (laughs) in a sense, you have all of philosophy wrapped up in those two philosophers. To say that they were giants of philosophy is that there's no hyperbole. Uh, you can just keep going with those types of statements. And they both represent, in a way, the two halves, uh, two approaches 
to epistemology, to metaphysics, to ethics, to all of those things. And Nicomachean Ethics is is a wonderful and very accessible read, right? Would you say? Oh, it's a, it's completely accessible in the sense that it's a sh- it's a relatively short work. It's ten ten it's ten books. I don't know why I'm thinking about that, but it's ten books, and the each book is about ten ten pages or so, I think. So it's it's only it's a little more than a hundred pages. Um, and so you can read it pretty easily. It's not as easy to read as, in my opinion, at least, it's not as easy to read as The Republic because Republic's kind of a fun story. It's definitely not as easy to read as Meditations, but it's it's very clear, very precise language is used. So I think it's extremely accessible. If I would recommend a translation to anyone, it would be the W.D. Ross translation, or if you're really interested in Aristotle, I would recommend the complete works of Aristotle. Um, Nicomachean Ethics is in volume two, and it's edited by Jonathan Barnes, and it's the revised Oxford translation. So that's a lot of good stuff. Highly recommend. Yeah, and that's something important to note about probably all the philosophical works we're talking about today, that they're accessible. It takes no special knowledge to try to (laughs) decipher these things. There are some philosophers who are notoriously difficult to to understand and read, but the ones that we're mentioning, which is kind of like part of the podcast, is trying to make philosophy accessible. And one of the reasons I think that Plato and Aristotle are still so popular all these days, all these years later, is not only their their brilliant ideas, uh, but the way in which they communicate it, which is very accessible. Hundred percent agree. Okay, my next book is a biography. So in 16th century France, there lived a man by the name of Montaigne, this is his last name, and he is responsible for one of the most thorough, introspective journals that you could probably imagine. He, I think it's just referred to as the Essays. And if you get like the full complete edition, you know, it's going to be like 1500 pages or whatever. He writes on so many topics. But the thing that's interesting about it is they're just incredibly personal, incredibly introspective. And again, a lot of it has to do with how to live uh, a good life. But if you don't want to read the essays, if you'd rather have some insight and commentary on the life of Montaigne and his essays, one of the best biographers and philosophy, in my opinion, these days is Sarah Bakewell. She's also written uh, another biography on uh, some of the existentialists. Yeah, it's called At the Existentialist Cafe. Uh, Another great read. I've read both of these. But Montaigne is such an intriguing figure. And (laughs) Sarah Bakewell does such a wonderful job of unpacking him, uh, not only biographically, but also, it's not just a strict biography of this is what he did in his life, but it ties all of that into his essays that he wrote, which are all, like I said, incredibly intriguing in terms of how to live with certain things, how to die with dignity, what to do in morally questionable situations, all of these things. Uh, and so so you get a bit of philosophy with the biography. And, and that's, for me, that's, a, that's how I enjoy philosophical biographies. Just hearing about the person's life is interesting, of course, but when you tie in their philosophy and then talk about it in such an intriguing and meaningful way as Bakewell does, 
you just end up with a really great book. So it's a, it's another example of a, of a book that I think is very good for, you know, an introduction to philosophy. So there's that one. Oh, I don't even think I said the title. Hang on. Yes. So it's called <laughs> How to Live or a Life of Montaigne. Here's some of the titles of the chapters. Uh, How to Live, Don't Worry About Death. <laughs> uh, chapter two, <laughs> Pay Attention. Chapter four, Read a Lot. Uh, chapter five, <laughs> How to Survive Love and Loss. Chapter seven, Question Everything. Chapter 11, Live Temperately. So it's just full of lots of really insightful advice. Uh, so check that one out, folks. How to Live or A Life of Montaigne by Sarah Bakewell. I definitely agree with you. There's there's only a few good philosophy biographies um, that are really both philosophical and uh, and a good biography. It is it is nice when you you find one of those. So I I just put that in my shopping cart. Oh, good. Yeah, it's fantastic. So my last book is kind of an odd one. I think for for definitely for people who know me. Um, but it's called either On the Nature of Things or The Way Things Are. The official title is called De Riram Natura. Um, it's a book by the philosopher slash poet Lucretius. And the reason I think it would be surprising to a lot of people is it's because it's because it's a book on Epicurean philosophy. <laughs> And so, uh, in that way, it's slightly different where, um, you know, Mr. Parsons and I are usually more putting pleasure down and other, other goods up, but I think it's still a good read. It's, it's very different from normal philosophical works in the, in the way that it's a, a poem. It's, I forget what the, the technical word is to describe it, but is it a didactic? No, it's not a didactic poem. Anyway, it's just a, it's kind of a long multi-book poem about Epicureanism and why, you know, it's just, it's just a normal work of philosophy and the other sense of things too, right? It's, it's a really good book. I was quite surprised when I read it, but I was recommended it by someone. I think it's the only, I, well, this is a contentious point, but I would say it's the only original Roman philosophical works. Hmm. written in Rome. So I'd like to read a little the first line of book three, which I think is, it just kind of shows you how it's different. O glory of the Greeks, the first to raise the shining light out of the tremendous dark, illuminating the blessings of our life. You are the one I follow and your steps I tread, not as a rival, but for love of your example. Does the swallow vie with swans, do wobbly leg, legged, little goats compete in strength and speed with your thoroughbreds. So I think it's 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 kind of odd, but it's really interesting and it's a really good work on Epicureanism. Now I don't necessarily buy everything in it, but I think it's it's kind of fun, quirky, non-conventional. And so I think if you are looking for something really accessible and really good too, right, um, I recommend this book. Oh, that's cool. Uh, because this is yet another form of philosophy we've talked about. So we've, <laughs> we've talked about biographies. We've talked about primary source, you know, which is prose. Uh, we've talked about things like Marcus Aurelius, which is journals and some, in some ways, some of his entries are aphorisms in a way. Uh, and here we have an example of poetry. 
So another category, I guess, of how philosophy can be presented. So that's really cool. I have Lucretius on my shelf, but I've never, I've never read it. <laughs> I better get on that. You'll, you'll get after me. <laughs> it's a, it's a really good, good work, and I recommend a translation from Ralph, Rolf Humphreys. I don't think I've read too many. I've, I think he's the only translation that I've read, but I was recommended the translation by someone that I trust very much. So I recommend that translation. Awesome. Love it. Okay, well, that brings us to my last choice. And that is a book that was published probably late 2019. I'd have to look, uh, but, but if not early 2020. So it's a very current book. It is a book by John Cag, and it's called Sick Souls, Healthy Minds, How William James Can Save Your Life. So this is another style of writing. Uh, John Cag uses his own experiences and connects us with a particular philosopher that he's exploring. So it's kind of a memoir, like it's a memoir of Cag's life, but also unpacking a particular philosopher. His other two books are Hiking with Nietzsche and, the, and American Philosophy. So they're all really wonderful books. But the reason I mentioned this one, and this is another one that I've given to many people, is this book came to me at a very important time in my life where I was struggling with some mental health issues. And it, you know, William James, which by the way, we did an episode on him with guest Jeffrey Howard. I think that was episode 14 where we talk about pragmatism. Uh, but William James, the great American pragmatist philosopher and, and psychologist, uh, talks a lot about suicide. And, you know, he has this famous line where he says, is life worth living? Well, it depends on the liver. You know, it depends on the person doing the living. Like he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from some difficulties mentally. And, and William James struggled with, the, with these issues as well. And so, and so does CAG. And so that's why these two, you know, CAG's memoir and then William James's philosophy really link up well in this book. And he talks about a lot of really encouraging things of how William James and he himself have navigated some of these, these difficulties uh, in both of their lives. Talks about the importance of experience and, and the ideas of streams of consciousness and uh, and how you know what you might feel one minute can be very different the next minute and that all deals with consciousness and uh and it's just a very inspiring book really that uh helped me and i think helps many people it's a very popular book uh helps many people wrestle or, or deal with some of the mental health issues that they might have william james is sometimes also associated with like cognitive behavioral therapy which is a very popular a form of therapy. So anyway, it's a really great book. If if you are uh, struggling with some mental health issues, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're just interested in pragmatism as a way of living, I, I think that's also very beneficial as a way of living. So either one, that's it's a really great book. Highly recommend it. It's on my book list now, <laughs> dude. It's so good. Like I <laughs> really, it's so good. Um, like he I'm just excited uh, to he, check it out. He unpacks like what pragmatism is in such an accessible way, but then at the same time makes it really meaningful for you know for for anyone. It's not and it's not like you have to be dealing with heavy mental health issues. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we all struggle with mental health issues. What what we think other people think of us and and things like that. You know, we all get caught in these little thought spirals from time to time. 
uh, where we mm-hmm. worry about the future too much and, and these types of things. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't have to be anything as heavy as something like suicide, which William James dealt with. It's just really beneficial for anyone's mental health and fr- frame of reference in mind and all of that kind of stuff. It's a great book. That sounds good. I have too many too many books to add to my list for winter break. So <laughs> it's going to be a, another reason for taking our short short sabbatical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll probably have to do an episode <laughs> on it or something. <laughs> okay, all right, folks. That's it for our book review. Hope you really enjoyed those. We will get those up on the website eventually. Whoever handles that website sometimes falls behind. I don't know who that is, <laughs> but he really needs to get it together. <laughs> but we'll get those these recommendations up on the website as well so you can reference back to those but for now for the last time in season one it's time to head over to the quote corner okay everyone welcome to the quote corner a very popular segment of our show where we take a philosophy quote entirely out of context and discuss it for a few <laughs> minutes and then give it an arbitrary rating on five stars. So we did not pre-choose uh, a quote today, but in my phone, mm-hmm. I keep quotes in an in a app, and I number those quotes, and I have over 700 quotes in my phone. So it's crazy. So what we're, uh, <laughs> it might be crazy. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to hit a number, random number generator and see which quote comes up. All right, here we go. This is very exciting. Are you excited, <laughs> Andrew? I'm I'm beyond excited. Okay, here we go. It's quote number six hundred and seven. So let me look that up. Oh my up. gosh! <laughs> Let's see here. Six oh seven. Oh, it's by American political philosopher Hannah Ardent. Okay. Oh my goodness. So here's the quote, which actually doesn't have anything to do with politics, but that's okay. All right, here we go. It says. Forgiving is the only reaction which does not merely react, but acts anew and unexpectedly, unconditioned by the act which provoked it, and therefore freeing from its consequences both the one who forgives and the one who is forgiven. Oh my goodness. It's kind of a lot to think <laughs> about without actually looking at it, I'm sure. Um, on your it end. It is a lot to think about. You want me to read it okay. again? <laughs> No, I, I, it's it's okay. I think okay. that's that's what our uh, that's what our audience deals with. So oh, I, I'm putting myself on the hot seat. Okay. <laughs> yes, Andrew's not seen this. So <laughs> first reactions, live reactions. That's right. I think it sounds to me like a pretty good quote. I think forgiveness is is an essential skill. And well, I don't know the content. Uh, I don't know the context either. And and that's right. It is. It is every time it is taken out of context. So I don't know, but I, I'm guessing if uh, she is a political philosopher, I can see how that would be important in, in a community, in a political community where you're going to have to be interacting with people. So forgiveness does seem good. It does seem like it's a beneficial action that's quite unique on its own. What do you think about it, Mr. Parsons? Can you, can you uh, give me a, some illumination? <laughs> well, every time I look back at some of these quotes, I'm like, where did I even get that from? Uh, I probably saw it on Twitter. I do like Hannah Ardent, though. I don't think we've even talked about her this whole first no, season. No, I don't think so. Her her big famous book is called The Origins of Totalitarianism, which became very popular in about 2016. 
you can make some uh, political associations there if you would <laughs> like to. But this book that she wrote in the 50s uh, really like took off. Forgiveness, you know, forgiveness is such an interesting idea, especially in the context of virtue. Uh, you and I, Andrew, put a lot of stock in the idea of virtues. And, you know, I would say forgiveness falls under the virtue of justice. Um, <laughs> and, oh gosh, there's just so many colloquialisms around forgive, you know, to err is human, to forgive is divine, and, and you know, these types of things. <laughs> I don't know what my reaction is to the quote, other than I think forgiving is such an act of pure lack of ego that it's a very rare thing to be given in its purest form, but so important for the social fabric, right? Like it, if we're unable to forgive those that we don't agree with, then we're in trouble. And sure. so whether that forgiveness is disingenuous, you know, whether or not we say we forgive that person and, and don't mean it, you know, that that's better than not forgiving at all and letting, letting that fester and being able to, mm -hmm. to let go of things, to be able to apologize to someone and say, I am sorry. And then in return, that person hopefully then issues you forgiveness. I think that's, that might be more important than being able to tell someone that you love them. It's almost like love is an expression of forgiveness. Ooh, hey, that was kind of smart sounding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know much about the quote, um, but those are kind of my thoughts on uh, on forgiveness, right? Uh, it's consequences both from the one who forgives and the one who is forgiven. It's important on both parts, both per both, both participants. No, I think that was a really good... Uh, it's better better than anything that I could say about it. So I won't say much more, but I will ask you, putting the putting it on you this time, um, what do you think about the quote? <laughs> well, like you, I've only read it once. Um, I, I, I'm not I'm not sitting here staring at it, uh, to, you know, to make things fair. So I only heard it once, and you know. I think it's important to focus on forgiveness, no matter what the content of the quote is <laughs> that I can't remember very well. So uh, I'll give this four stars. I'll give it four stars as well. I think it sounds like a pretty good quote. And, and I think you made, you made some good points about it. So it seems, seems worthy of some four stars. Okay. What a way to end season one. Four stars. We are <laughs> <Yay>. in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> The stars are aligned. <laughs> That's right. All right, everybody. That's going to be it for season one. Thank you for spending your valuable time with us over the past year and today as well. We'd really love it if you leave a positive review and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. So this time, you'll know when season two drops. And of course, pass it on to your friends. The more the merrier. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to seeing everybody's friends in season two. But to do that, by hitting that subscribe button and remember to email us at opendoorphilosophy at gmail.com for any ideas about season two, any topics that you'd like for us to cover, or let us know on Twitter or Instagram with topics you'd like for us to talk about in season two or any quotes for us to check out. Yeah, I mean, if we don't, we will forgive you, but uh, <laughs> but we'll also be very sad. And like Andrew said, you can follow all the philosophy on Twitter and Instagram and our website, opendoorphilosophy.com, where you can find many things about the show, including our book lists. I guess 
this is our ultimate thank you to Kevin McLeod for the free use of his music that we use in the intro and outro. Thank you so much for listening to us this season. We'll see you next time. And remember, when your life seems in need of some philosophy, the door is always open. We'll see you in January. See you in January. Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 